Hi, everybody. This is a special extra edition of Hashtag Sisters-in-Law. We are gathered on Monday night, just getting the news like the rest of America that there was a leaked uh, draft. We have not verified, but a leaked draft by Politico of what purports to be a majority opinion overturning Roe v. Wade, a scathing rebuke of Roe v. Wade authored by Justice Samuel Alito. I am here with Joanne Banks and Barb McQuaid. Uh, Joyce fans would have loved to have been here, but she is at an event and she couldn't. And we just wanted to give you our quick thoughts about this really unbelievable night. Barb, why don't I start with you? <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, it's a it's a leak, which you pointed out, which is very, very unusual for the Supreme Court. They are usually absolutely leak proof. But this opinion does appear to be a genuine draft opinion written by Justice Alito that is a complete rejection of Roe versus Wade, of of the Casey case, uh, of the right to an abortion in the United States. Uh, I, I don't think we can overstate the significance of this case. It, it is enormous. And I think not only does this bode ill for abortion rights, we know that a majority of states are poised to either uh, resume laws that are already on the books that make abortions illegal or enact others immediately. But the language of it, which eviscerates the the right of privacy that, was, uh, that Roe was based on, is also the basis for other decisions, like the right to contraceptives and the right to same-sex marriage. And so if Roe falls, then it's hard to see any of those other rights standing either. So I, I, I think we've kind of known this is coming, but to see it in writing is is a real uh, gut punch. It's incredibly sobering. And, you know, I think we all had thoughts that maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe they will take, uh, you know, more of a distinction approach than a complete overturning. But it is the doomsday scenario we all feared. Yeah, what do you think, Joe? I am gobsmacked. It is so much worse than anything we anticipated. I think all of us acknowledged that with this court, there would be some loss of the rights that had been guaranteed for almost 50 years. So almost everyone alive, and certainly anyone of childbearing years, has never lived at a time when they couldn't have an abortion. Um, I think the things that are surprising, and one, of course, is the fact that it leaked, but let's not focus on that. I think we need to focus on the language and the substance of it. We don't know whether this 15-week which is what is at issue in Dobbs, is going to also be upheld in the six-week, uh, which hasn't been able to be challenged yet because of the strange uh, vigilante nature of that ruling. We also don't know where Roberts is going to come out on this. Chief Justice Roberts could make it a 6-3 decision instead of a 5-4 decision. That wasn't clear from what we've seen so far. And it is a complete and total evisceration. It overrules. It uses language like viability makes no sense as a basis for this decision, that it is egregiously wrong, which is language that was also used in saying that Korematsu and Plessy v. Ferguson were egregiously wrong. Those are cases that allowed separate but equal, the Plessy, 
and Korematsu was the roundup of Japanese Americans during the war. So to compare the right that was granted uh, of privacy for an abortion to those cases is totally disturbing to me. And I, I think the one thing that, oh, another thing was, if you remember during the argument, uh, Justice Barrett said, well, it's not such a big deal because you can always give the baby away for adoption. There's now all these safe havens. And that seems to have made its way into the opinion as well, which is hardly the answer to someone who is forced to have be pregnant for nine months and bear the, the baby. Um, and they go out of their way, though, to say that they don't mean any other rights except the right to abortion, which I agree with Barbara is not true. I believe that all of these other rights, uh, gay rights, contraceptive rights, um, are going to be the next to go. And the, the only hope that I can see for this is they also say, this isn't the subjugation of women because they have the right to vote, which to me implies, so they ought to go out and vote for people who won't allow this to happen in their state, which doesn't seem like a very sensible uh, or viable approach to solving this. But I think that there may be some political backlash from this. That would be my only hope, is that this will help Democrats to take back state houses and the Senate, the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress. That is my only hope. What about you, Kim? What, what's yeah. your reaction to this? I'm not that hopeful on that, so just a couple <laughs> points. I mean, I, on, I, I think at this point, Jill, that the 15-week, six-week distinction is, is moot. It, it, Roe is gone. If this opinion, and again, this is a draft, it could change. So just to explain to our audience, it is possible that the, one of the justices who joined this, uh, uh, join this purported opinion may see some of the backlash in the ensuing weeks and months uh, and change his or her mind. That is a possibility. I think it's remote but it is a possibility. Um, but if that isn't the case, if this five justice majority holds, it could be a six week ban, a two week ban, a entire ban, because Roe is gone, that right is gone. Um, I wanna echo what Barb said about other rights. We're talking about rights that aren't expressly written in the constitution. <laughs> if you look at what was expressly written in the constitution, I could still be chattel. Uh, there would be there could be <laughs> laws making it illegal for me to be married to my husband. There could be laws making it illegal for uh, lots of people to be married um, if they are not land owning white heterosexual people. Um, there are un, uh, un, uh, so many laws that emanate from all the things that the founders didn't just think couldn't think of in that moment when those documents were written. So if that's the standard that we're going by now, um, God help us all. And the point that Alito was making when comparing uh, Plessy and Karamatsu was trying to get around the doctrine of stare decisis. This is supposed to be a guiding principle of the US Supreme Court. When an issue is settled, it is settled. It is the law. They say that when they're at their confirmation hearings over and over again, that is settled law, and I don't have anything to say about that, I will follow settled law. It seems from reading this opinion, Justice Alito could not wait, could not wait to strike that down by using these comparisons. 
there's a lot of things. I can talk for days about some of the things that are in this opinion, including this idea that somehow he might be protecting unborn black children, yes. making a point that black, uh, more black fetuses are aborted. He knows nothing about maternal health care because the reason why abortion health care needs to be available is that black women are four to five times more likely to die during childbirth or before because of a lack of access to uh, prenatal care, which in some situations when it is threatening to a woman's life, include abortion care. So he is actually putting people's women's lives in danger, a disproportionate burden on black women. I wrote a piece about reproductive justice that I will include in these show notes to explain exactly what I mean. But I am gutted. I am, you were talking about people who had this their entire lives. I am two months younger than the Roe decision. And if this holds, uh, I, I, just, I just don't know what to say. I cannot imagine a world without it, but apparently I'm going to have to think about it uh, and imagine that. Jill, can you tell us what the world was like? I know you're, you're old enough to remember pre-Roe. Can you describe for us what that was like? You know, it, it, I, I'm old enough to have been alive during that time, but I was a young child and I don't really remember. Can you oh, share with us your yes, reflections about that? I can. It meant that women dropped out of college because they became pregnant and didn't want to have a back alley abortion, which endangered their lives. So they went ahead with unwanted pregnancies and changed their lives forever. It did not stop abortion. It just stopped legal, safe, healthy abortions. And Kim is right, the reasoning in this opinion does, and I think, Barbara, you said the same thing, does lead me to the conclusion that the next things are going to be all the things that were first identified in what was called the penumbra of the Constitution. They aren't enumerated rights, but they were considered to be so obvious that they were a logical consequence of rights enumerated. But because they aren't enumerated, it means that marriage to someone of the same sex could be abolished even though there is a Supreme Court decision saying there is. It's relatively new. If they can abolish a 50-year-old one. And so in the days, the bad old days, people did go and many people died because they had a, an unsafe abortion not done in a hospital, not done by a medical professional. And that's what it meant. And, you know, the right to contraceptives is also relatively new. It was in the past where states barred people from having contraceptives, which meant, of course, that there were more, more, more unwanted pregnancies because there was no way to stop them. So this is, there is nothing that I can say about this decision that is good. It is, the language is just terrible. They go out of their way to say people who perform these medical procedures are abortionists. In the past, mm -hmm. they called abortion providers. Yeah, very loaded language. Yeah. Very loaded. Can I, make, can I make a couple points, legal points, Yes. Um, about the opinion? I mean, two things. One is you've both mentioned um, this idea that the word abortion isn't in the Constitution. You know I have harped on this idea of textualism for a long time. I liken it to the Abbott and Costello routine of 7 times 13 is 28. Um, you know, if you, if you play around enough with uh, language, you can make it say anything you want it to. Um, 
you can uh, you know, make numbers that don't add up, appear to add up by reverse engineering the results you want to get to. And so by playing around with language, you can do anything. But as, as Jill has just said, there are implied rights in the Constitution. The court has, for as long as we've had the Republic, found implied rights in the Constitution because you have to read the document as a whole and about all of the, uh, the rights that it creates. So, for example, there is nowhere in the Constitution the right to the presumption of innocence. But do you think the Supreme Court would ever say, you know what, we don't want to take away that right from states. Why don't we say states get to decide whether a person should be presumed innocent? And they can decide for themselves. That's, you know, that's, that's why we should do it. And this textualism has been a made-up uh, device since uh, the, the 70s and 80s. Uh, Robert Bork and Antonin Scalia. It has all been an effort to um, get back to uh, a conservative viewpoint to avoid progress in the law, and to preserve that status quo. So that's one point. The other is, Kim, you raised an issue about stare decisis, this idea that precedent should be followed. There are some agreed-upon bases where precedent should be overturned. And the example they love to cite is Brown versus Board of Education um, overruling Plessy versus Ferguson was the um, separate but equal opinion. And, you know, those factors are... Um, has our understanding of the facts changed? Has our understanding of the law changed? Has the law developed around this case in such a way that this case is no longer consistent with the rest of the law? Or whether people have relied on this decision to make their own decisions in their lives. If you look at all four of those possible bases for overturning a, a precedent, none of them are met here. The only thing that is met here is the makeup of the court, which has changed since 1973. And, you know, I went back and looked at Justice Sotomayor's quote that she said at the time of this hearing, and I'm sure you'll remember this. What she said was, um, will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? I don't see how it is possible. That is such I, a good quote. And, but when you mention history, I have to point out that Roe decided in January of 1973, was a 7-2 to two decision. And of the seven who voted for the right, it was five Republicans. So that's how the world has changed. There were five Republicans and two Democrats who voted in the majority in Roe. And now you don't have any Republicans who will stand up for that right, which we have relied on for almost 50 years. I mean, I will say we don't know what Roberts is going to do. For all we know, he leaked this, uh, he leaked this opinion. But um, I think that you're right. And just to Barb's point, one thing that Alito does right uh, about this issue, uh, about Roe, um, is in part um, far from bringing about national settlement uh, of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. He claims that Roe deepened mm -hmm. division. I mm -hmm. hope that Justice Alito pays very <laughs> close attention to what will happen to this nation in the bef before and after the final version of this opinion drops. If he wants to see division, it is not Roe that created that division. I think that is a mind-blowing, nonsensical assertion. Um, wait you know, I know that it, you have... Now. You, you correctly state that the leak is far less significant than the, 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 the substance of the opinion, and I agree with that. But I can't help think, but think that the leak is also 
a, a really interesting development in the legitimacy of the court. I mean, we've never seen this before. Never. And it makes me wonder Anything who it like was. This. You know, like, is it, on the one hand, you could imagine someone is just so outraged by this that they just leaked it. Whether it's, you know, somebody on the justice's staff or even just a, a clerical person who just said, this is garbage. I want people to know about this in hopes that there might be a big enough backlash that they talk them off the ledge. That's one possibility. The other, and I'm afraid is a much more cynical one, which is this. It's the conservative side who say there will be this big political backlash. People will get all organized about it. So what if we leak it in the same way William Barr leaked his letter about Robert Mueller's investigation? You know, we'll just put it out there a little bit. Uh, We'll hold some of it back. uh, And then, you know, we'll let them get that out of their system. And then that'll dull the uproar when the real opinion comes out in June. I mean, what do you guys think about that? What's your speculation? Who do you think leaked this? I mean, if that is the case, it would be absolutely gutting, and this is why. This is not a, this is very different from that circumstance in that this is the U.S. Supreme Court. You, this institution, as you said, has never leaked. I mean, before when we had the reporting that came after the fact, after the Obamacare decision about how certain justices changed their minds and how uh, Justice Roberts was able to weave together that decision. That was phenomenal just to get that kind of thing. To have an unfinished uh, opinion leak, I can't imagine that it would not do so without the imprimatur uh, imprimatur of at least one of the justices. And And so if if that is the case, that would mean that one of the justices in the majority leaked this. And if that is the case, I would say that would be grounds for impeachment if they're trying to do it for a political reason. I agree yeah. with you, Kim, but I also want to point out that the reason that, it, because we're assuming a knowledge that not everyone's going to have, which is that these decisions are circulated routinely within the court, and people change their minds. Justices actually can change. They'll read the decision and think, well, I agree with the outcome, but not this language. I'm going to write a concurring opinion. Or, gee, I really agree with the dissent. I'm going to switch my vote. So the reason that there's never been a release prior to the final actual official release is that it's a changing field and it can go from five to four to six to three to it can go any which way. And so it's really significant that it leaked. And I don't know, Barb, honestly, whether I'm thinking that it was someone outraged who was a clerical person uh, or a staff or whether it was a cynical act of the court, I don't think that this is going to go away. I don't think the political impact is going to go away. But I, you know, I think one of the more cynical things in it was that they referred to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Lawrence Tribe mm-hmm. as at one point having had some issues with the Roe decision. And that's a completely unfair and incorrect analysis, I believe, and I'm not going to speak for uh, Professor Tribe because he's around and can speak for himself, but my understanding of Justice Ginsburg was that she wanted to go slower in this because she wanted it to be something that people accepted gradually rather than having it come out all at once. She thought the national... I think she also favored an equal protection analysis uh, as opposed to this substantive due process analysis. Right, right. Just getting there by a different method, I think. But it was the same outcome. I mean, she certainly supported this right. So that's why I think it's critical to mention it in their opinion. I don't think it's like a straight face that that, that Alito and Ginsburg were on the same side. Yeah. 
Exactly. You know what it's like? It's like when racists dra- drape themselves in the words of Martin Luther King. Yes. yes. Nothing more offensive. Exactly. Exactly. And, and they did that, as Kim pointed out. Part of their argument was, oh, well, we're really just protecting the uh, black population because there are more black fetuses aborted than white. And so that's... Yeah, don't do me any favors. No, and I don't even think that that's true, but don't give me... It may not be factually correct. We yeah. can check that out. Uh, and we should let our listeners know, of course, that we only have had this opinion for minutes, basically. Yeah. But because we felt it was so important, we wanted to speak out on this. And as, as Kimberly said, uh, Joyce is at a law school event, uh, a fundraiser for her law school, and could not join us. Um, but I'm sure she's drowning her sorrows. Well, uh, I think we will have lots more. We, we guarantee yeah. more to say. We'll later have lots more to say about this on Friday. Yes. We thank you all for taking a moment in the middle of your week to listen to our initial uh, gut thoughts about what just happened tonight. And we will have much more for you at the end of the week. Be well. <laughs>